Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. And today we'll be in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. We are in this study on our five distinctives. As a church, we, it's important for us to evaluate what is our testimony in the community? What is our reputation? And I'm not talking about the building. That is important. I'm thankful for all of the team that serve and take care of trimming bushes and mowing and all of the property. It's over 10 acres taken care of. And, and this summer, can we be honest, the, the, the rain has been a little relentless, all right? The mower, our mowers have gotten a sufficient workout in the crew, but that's not primarily or that's not all that I'm talking about is what you see when you drive by. I'm talking about what really is the church, and that is the people of God, the brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's you. I'm thankful for you. What is our reputation in the community? What are we known for? What is our testimony in the world? When our missionary partners think about Grace Community Church, what comes up in their minds? How endeared are we to them? How do like-minded churches in our region regard this body of believers? You know, we're not in competition. When people are searching, we had a discovery membership class yesterday. When people are searching for a church, this is not a high-pressure place. You, if you know Christ, you have a desire to please him. That's the pressure that we need. Making that decision of where you plant and where you belong and where you will serve and be served, you're guided by the Spirit of God and we welcome those who are like-minded and come into fellowship to serve with us in carrying out the Great Commission. We, we want as many people as possible. However, it's not competition for the other churches that are in communities that are faithfully teaching God's word. We pray for them and we want them to be blessed and them to succeed in sharing in this work of the gospel. Amen? Amen. This, isn't, this isn't competition. Are we courageous in our evangelistic efforts? I'm talking individually and collectively. Are we courageous? Would you think about yourself as someone who is winsome, refreshing, encouraging, and comforting to those around you? I'm not just thinking about the guy with the bullhorn on a corner. Oh, here goes a message on courageous evangelism and and I'm so timid, and I'm so shy. And then there's the other individual that's just in your face, loud. Well, we're going to need what Paul has to say about this. These distinctives, you really can't take any of them away and leave us with the same DNA. A few weeks ago, we looked at the starting place. It's in the heart of this graphic, and that's Christ-centered preaching. It's number one on the list of five. It's Christ-centered preaching. It's proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. So no matter where we are, who's speaking, who's preaching, 
who's teaching, whatever small group leader may be, or even in children's ministry, Jesus is always the hero and the main point, not us. I want you to be able to identify that. If someone is preaching and it's story after story after personal, personal, listen to me, here's what I do. I want you to be able to discern counterfeit from Christ-centered preaching. What will really build us up is not more stories from a popular winsome speaker. It's tell me about Jesus. Show me the cross. Show me what we just sang about the empty tomb. Now that will get us through, not just another day or week. That'll carry us through this lifetime and all eternity, amen? amen. It's Christ-centered preaching and passionate worship. We looked at that lifting high the name of Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. Been watching any college football la lately? Sparty fans? Oh, that was a great game. Last night, wonderful game. Now we'll turn the TV off and proceed to bed. Is that how Sparty fans celebrated that win over Nebraska last night? I don't think so. Passionate worship, right? Enjoyment, pastime. But when we come to worship the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, that's, that's the reason why we'll put our hands together, we'll clap. We might say something in praise to the Lord because we don't care, except that we care about Jesus and his honor and his name. And so that led us to fervent prayer, the believing in the power of God. And we're devoted then to praying boldly without ceasing. And if we're consistent in seeking the face of our Father in heaven, then we will share the Father's heart for all who are not yet in the family. And that leads us to what we're going to talk about today, and that's courageous evangelism boldly sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm going to highlight this. Bold does not mean rude. Bold does not mean angry. Bold does not mean in your face, fierce, unkind. Courageous evangelism is that which is winsome, refreshing. Now, it's not politically correct, we can't say all religions, you know, the coexist bumper sticker. That's not true. But in all things, we're to be charitable, kind, gracious. Paul's introduction to the letter of Romans is extremely helpful for us. He gives to us a timeless example. When he's writing this letter, he hasn't been to Rome yet, and he cares about them. We don't know who planted the church at Rome, but Paul cares about them and he's trying to get there to see them and he commends them in this letter and he didn't do that for the Galatians. You remember when we studied that letter, he praised God and he had nothing good to say about the Galatian churches. That's different for the Roman church. He affirms them. He can't wait to see them face to face. Paul was the apostle of faith. And he's writing, and that's a key, uh, a key element, a theme of the book of Romans. If we think about evangelism as something that we have to do, then we've, we've misunderstood, we've missed it. 
if we see evangelism as something that we get to do, we've been invited to do, we've been brought into this mission by the God who made everything and his plan A is the church to multiply and plant churches and spread the gospel. And he wants to use the person that you saw in the mirror this morning. It'll change our perspective. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. We're chosen by God. We're chosen to be his hands and his feet to minister to those who are broken in a fallen world all around us. As we, t- we talked in the parenting seminar last Wednesday night and the reality of what is the home to be, a place where we bring up children who know, love, and follow Jesus. It's quite simple and quite difficult, Right? We just want our kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to follow Jesus for all of their days, not just until my days have come to an end, but for all of their days. Listen to this section. Follow along there in your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of God. Now this book, this letter was probably written when Paul was on his third missionary journey. If he wrote this from Corinth, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He has an offering. He's, he's taken an offering. He's collecting an offering for the saints who are suffering in Jerusalem. And he, so he wants to get to Jerusalem. He's going to bring uh, that offering to those who are suffering. And he hasn't been to Rome. He's not sure how he's going to get to Rome, but he wants to see them and he wants to make his way to, the, to Rome. This morning, we're going to learn from his example of courageous evangelism And this is what we're going to take away, that we as a people of God, we will share the gospel boldly. You say, well, when? When will we share the gospel boldly? We will share the gospel boldly when we are, number one, consumed with gratitude. Consumed with gratitude. 
When something is consumed, that means it's filled up, it's overflowing. If the house is consumed with fire, don't go in. When we're consumed with gratitude, it means we're just, every part of us is abounding in thanksgiving. What leads us to be this kind of people that we are so thankful that we're consumed with gratitude like Paul the Apostle, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He just begins, I'm so thankful to God through Christ for you. Why would we, why would we be consumed with gratitude? Let's remember. Let's remember the grace we've been given in Christ. That's what Paul is remembering. He's remembering as he prays in his he turns his attention to our Father who art in heaven, right? And so he begins to just overflow with gratitude because he doesn't deserve position of apostle. He, he didn't deserve salvation. He deserved hell. He hated the church. He was persecuting the church. And so his heart is overflowing. His life is overflowing with gratitude because he remembers, I've been shown grace and it wasn't owed to me. I didn't deserve grace and God was merciful. Oh, his amazing grace. Do you remember what you've been given in Christ? Can you think about that right now, what you deserved and what you deserve and instead what he's given in his son? So Paul directed, this is prayer. He's praying to God, our father in heaven. He's praying through Jesus Christ. That's your only access to the Father in heaven, it's through the Son, it's through Jesus. And so that's Paul's example, his pattern for prayer here. And then he's going somewhere with his prayer. He's bringing his thankfulness for all of the church in Rome. I'm so thankful for all of you, and so I'm taking thankfulness to God through Christ for you. Not some of them. He didn't say, I'm thankful for some of you. And then I've heard about some of y'all in Rome. No, he said, I'm thankful for all of you. All of you. The Jews, the Gentiles, the poor, the rich, the slaves, the free, the educated, the uneducated, the young, the old, all part of the family of God. And he's saying, I'm thankful for you. And I echo that. I'm thankful for you, church. Paul's thankful for them. He hasn't even met them yet. They didn't know the joys of Zoom meetings yet. You couldn't do that, FaceTime. So it's letters. A letter has come from Paul to us. What is he going to say? He remembers the grace that he, we've been given in Christ. That fills him with gratitude. And then he chooses to remember the good. He said, when I think about the good that I hear about you, when we think about the good that we hear about other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ, you know what that abounds in? Gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving. He said, I hear your faith is public in all the world. Now, isn't it easy and maybe even easier to remember the bad about our loved ones and the people we know and work with and live with and go to church with? It's easy to remember, well, they said, well, you know what they did back in 62? You know, really? How long are you going to nurse that wound? But Paul says, you know what I'm remembering? 
I'm bringing up before the Lord what I'm hearing about your faith, the good. Intentionally remembering the good. That's an uphill, that's an uphill climb. That's not easy to do. It's easy for us to remember what our loved ones do wrong and what they forgot to do and they said they weren't gonna and there it is and oh, that's easy. That's earthy. That's everybody. That's carnal. There's something different and Paul says, I hear the good about you. Just think about that. If as a people of God, we're, we're constantly looking for the good. We're looking to encourage. We hear the good things and, and we hear steps of faith and for those of us who love to jun jump into situations to correct, you know, like, you know, that's not right. I mean, I've heard there are some of these people out there that like to just straighten everything out and fix everything. Maybe you know one or two of them, you know, elbowing spouses right now. He's you, he's you. No, it's me. Remember the good. And their testimony is going throughout the Roman Empire. And, and it's not going through news media. It's not going through the the couriers publishing it in local squares. It's going by word of mouth. It's what we call grassroots. Have you heard about these Christians, these followers of Jesus, this, this Nazarene, this Jewish man? He was one of the thousands crucified in the Roman Empire. Have you heard about, have you? Yeah, I've heard about these people. What is it that they believe? And he said, this testimony is going everywhere. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, when the Holy Spirit enters and does his mighty work, it inevitably and always becomes known. God spreads it. He has done it in every revival throughout the centuries. He does it still. He will always do it. Paraphrase. In our evangelism, God is the heavy lifter, not us. He's the one. Jesus, we're yoked with him. It's his spirit that goes beneath the surface and changes the hearts and lives of men like we sang about this morning. Not us. We can't do that. But he does this. So Paul is thankful for them. He writes encouraging them. He's giving them heartfelt words. Are we thankful people? I mean, I think that's an important question that we, we just ask. Am I a thankful person? And I think on one hand, we say, yeah, of course I'm thankful. What do you think I'm not? Think I'm an ingrate? You think I'm not thankful? Of course I'm thankful. But then take that a step further. Do I demonstrate thankfulness? Have you ever tried to have an argument with somebody who's just thankful for everything. Oh, thank you for pointing that out to me. I'll think about that next time. Ah, no. Thank you. I'll be praying about that. Come on. Now you're super spiritual. Shut up. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, here it is, thanksgiving. So he's just practicing what he preaches. This is how he prayed. Let your requests be made known to God. Just bring it to God. Our doubts, our confusion, our pains, disbelief, all of it, bring it to God. Let your request, but be thankful. Paul's thankful for them. Consumed with gratitude. Well, that'll, that'll lead us to sharing the gospel boldly. And secondly, we'll be constant in prayer. When we're constant in prayer, 
Paul's already introduced this a little bit. He's abiding in prayer. Why? He says, For God is my witness, in verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's praying for them. He's remembering why. Here's why. Because he's saying this. God sees and knows us. God sees and knows us. Saying God is my witness. You know, like, hey, I'm writing to you, and I have one witness to call to the stand. Oh, who's your witness? I call God as my witness? (laughs) Go ahead. Let them know. Yeah, he prays for you all the time. He loves you. He can't wait to see you. Thank you. That'll be all. Right? He's saying, God is my witness. And I serve him with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I mean, this is just abounding in joy and gratitude. Paul is writing to them. This isn't his church. It's God's church. But Paul's part of the whole body of Christ, and so he cares about them. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. He can't wait to have an opportunity to serve them. So he's, he's praying. Well, why would he pray when he's, a con- he's on a different continent from them? He's never even met them. He's praying because he says this, God sees, God knows, And God hears what we say about others. So he says it to them. Hey, God is my witness. He sees me pray for you. Why would you be praying for them? What difference does it make anyway to be praying for people? To have a prayer list. To be praying. What difference does it make? Because God hears what we say about others. We long to be united with others in the family of God. And you understand, if somebody is writing to you, and they're basically a stranger to you, and they're telling you that they're thankful for you, they can't wait to see you, they want to serve you and serve with you and be served by you, that might be a little strange. Like, who is, who is this guy? Is this a gimmick? Like, is he up to something? Is he just, you know, a traveling snake oil salesman and he just can't wait to get his claws into our checkbook? Is that what this guy is? God is my witness. He knows what I have in here for you. It's all from him anyway. And I can't wait to see you. Not to lord over these people, but to serve them and to be served by them and to serve with them. And so Paul mentions them in prayer. He's bringing them up. Can we think about this? Who is it that we are praying for and we are speaking their name before the throne of grace? And the temptation at times is to think, are we really making any difference here? Am I really changing much of anything? And this is why it's helpful to read scripture, and this is why it's helpful to read biographies, to hear about people who die praying unanswered prayers, and then the person comes to faith at their funeral or later on, and they never live to see the answer to their prayer. And that encourages me. 
And that should encourage you to to hang in there and remember Paul, he's praying for them and it's not weird and it's not strange. He loves them in Christ and he can't wait to get there and to be with them. And yet Paul is surrendered to the will of God. He's not saying, Lord, here's the terms. I'm gonna go here and I'm gonna go there and I'm an apostle after all, so this must be your will and if you don't do it, then I'm out. No, he's saying, here's my plans. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, we've been honest through the whole building program and in comes COVID. Plans are open-handed. If any plan ever gets done, it's because we can look and say, hey, well, how would there be, end up being a pole barn down there? God did that. God did that. That's what we tell our children. God did that. God supplied that. God's gracious. God sees and God knows. So we pray and we pray, and we trust him. Amen? Well, if we're going to be constant in prayer, then we better put some feet to our prayers, and Paul was ready to do that. Then we're going to be committed to serve. Hey, can you help us over here? I'm praying. Okay, well, all right. Uh, when are you going to be done praying? Because the grass needs to be mowed. And, you know, we got a diaper that needs to be changed. I'm praying. Okay, can you pray without ceasing while mowing and while changing a diaper maybe? Try that on. Let's be committed to serve. Every single Christian can live trusting this reality, beloved. My serving strengthens others. If you're in Christ, then you can personalize that. You can say in truth, my serving strengthens other people. Paul said, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So Paul is saying, I'm coming and I want to, I plan to, I will strengthen you. I will encourage you. I'm going to serve you. I'm coming not primarily to have you serve me, have my green room ready, I'll take this specific tea and three waters, and this is the temperature of the room. Have you heard of some of these like so-called Christian speakers that have to have it all like arranged, and then they like come out and say their message, and then they disappear and buy their books, and it's like, really? Paul isn't saying that. I can't wait to serve you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to serve you, and God would use Paul he would use his spiritual giftness to serve them just like he did everywhere he went. God is the one who's provided apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Ephesians 4.12 says, why? Do you know why you've been given a pastor? There it is. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And when pastors, elders equip the saints together in the body of Christ for the work of ministry, and we serve together in grace, then what happens to that body? It's built up. It's strong. It's strengthened. Because everybody is realizing God didn't make a mistake when he put me in this church. There was a need, and he sent me in his sovereign plan before all creation before eternity passed. It, he, he knew I would be here and there would be a need, and I'm so blessed to be able to meet that need. Wow. 
I'm part of a really big story. God's story. This truth implies to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, that implies that the saints are actually then under the teaching of the word being equipped. You have to be there. You can't be everywhere with everything else that pulls in and, 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 and pulls at your schedule. How will you be built up? If everything pulls you away from worshiping, walking, and working together. So it causes us to adjust our priorities because how will you be equipped if you're not under the word? To be under the word, equipped for serving. That implies that there's a place for every member to be a minister. There's not the the professional clergy and then there's everybody else, two systems, caste systems, no. Paul, unless he comes off too heavy-handed saying, I'm coming to serve you and impart a gift to you, he's very quick to say, actually, what I'm talking about is, and and this leads us to, to the next aspect, your serving strengthens me. That's what Paul moves to so that they don't think like, oh, so here comes in the apostle and he's going to just bless us. The end? No. Paul quickly moves to, so I'm going to come serve you, but, but listen, this is God's plan. I'm going to serve you and you're going to be strengthened and then you're going to serve me and I'll be strengthened. I need you. I'm praying for you. You pray for me. We're partners in the gospel. We're together in the gospel. We can't do this without each other. I'm going to serve and you'll grow strong and you're going to serve and you're going to strengthen me. This is God's plan. It's still his plan. This is the community, mutual strengthening, mutual encouragement. Paul's life, his ministry would be blessed by by spending time with them. He talks about, I'm I'm coming for a harvest. Okay, if you're a farmer, you want to harvest. You want to actually get something out of the field that you planted. But here's the beauty of this. Using the harvest analogy, what did Paul plant? He hasn't been there yet. He's coming to reap a harvest that someone else planted. That's the church. So we sow seeds. So Paul is talking about somebody was courageous in evangelism. They brought the gospel to Rome. There's a church there now, and I'm coming, and I'm coming for a harvest in the church and in Rome. This is God's plan for spiritual giftedness in the church. Honestly, we're not too preoccupied with the question, what is my spiritual gift? What are my spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? Oh, let me do 19 tests and they all come up. Let me analyze and get at this all. Here's a much more effective and humble and useful way to pray. Am I a member of a Bible-believing church? Okay, once that's resolved, yes. Okay, so that's my community. What does my church need? Can I meet the need? You see how quickly you can go from, I don't know what to do, to here's something, here's somewhere you can serve. And God always meets the need. If there's genuine need, he provides, my God shall supply all our need, Paul wrote. So, 
Every genuine need will be met. We won't have a shortfall. Some of you guys are numbers, numbers watchers. Ladies do, and you know, you watch the bulletin. Where are we at? Pastor's preaching. You're like, okay. Offering last week. Where are we at? Oh, here we are in the year. And you got your calculator out you know, during a sermon, doing a percentage. And how many times have we seen the Lord provide? And we end the year and we say, well, Lord, you did it again. And you did it again. And you did it again. Okay, we're, we're going on, what, 16 years I've been here? And the Lord always seems to be a little bit, you know, holding back. And then it just comes through like, did you trust me? Got you again. I got this. I got this. Through the faithfulness and generosity of God's people who prioritize, I want in on what God is doing. We could spend our money in a million different ways. But we as children of God, we say, I want to invest into eternity. And how do we do that? In the work of the gospel. That's local and that's global. And so we receive a paycheck and we prioritize, Lord, thank you, gratitude, thank you. We pray, help me to give what you desire, not what anybody tells me, but what you want me to give. And then we give in gratitude, knowing this is going to strengthen the body. And then the body strengthens me. And we come and we're rejoicing in this whole thing. See, it really moves into every aspect of our Christian lives. That's why you can't take away any of the distinctives. Every person will be connected. Every person will be strengthened. No exception. Do you realize the Bible uses the building analogy, the family analogy? You can't have a family and just be one person. I know our culture is trying to redefine the family, but you can't because God made it. Genesis, it's right there in the beginning. And Jesus appealed to it in Matthew 19. He said, you want any question about divorce, any question about any, our sexuality, go back to Genesis and there's, there's where we start and there's where we'll stay. One man, one woman for life. That's God's plan. And then sin happened. And we're dealing with all the effects of that in our relationships in every way. But that's the plan of God. You can't have a family with just be one person. But in the family of God, one person, whether it be a widow or a widower or a single person, they have a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't be a building and just be one brick. Now, you can't have a building without bricks, but just be, you know, the people are like, ah, I, I, I love Jesus and everything, but I worship out on the mountain. I go hunting. That's where I worship the Lord. I'm out and about. I don't really need organized religion, church. Okay, but the Bible uses it as a body. You can't have a body, and it's just, but I'm only seeing a finger. Who's around here that left their finger on this project? Right? That's not a body. It's part of a body, and we're missing the body. There's a finger. Where's the body? I've been close to doing that with saws every now and then. I'm a little dangerous. Okay, the body implies the body's missing the finger, and there are people who are some of our people are still missing. They haven't come back from COVID. And I say this every now and then, but I'm not saying this to beat anyone down. I'm saying you can't be in God's place of blessing and be isolated. And so the body is to go after that. Where's that finger at? Where's that toe at? Where's that shoulder? Where's that internal organ? We, we need you. We're missing you. 
May the Lord help us to strengthen one another. That's what Paul, he's like, I can't wait to get to, I'm, I'm going to strengthen you. You're going to strengthen me. This is going to be amazing. I can't wait to get there. Well, that leads us to number four. We're going to share the gospel boldly when we're careful to plan. And that's what we see in verses 13 to 15. Now, Paul is not God. He is not telling God what to do, but he is making some plans. He believes in the sovereignty of God and he makes plans. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, not going well. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you and also, and you also who are in Rome. So why would we make plans? Why would we be careful to make plans? And you might even just underline C-A-R-E. He cares. Why would we make plans? It's because we actually care. It's not that he was so reserved, like, oh, I don't know, that trip might cost too much. Oh, I don't think I can do that. I might risk getting sick, seasick. Oh, I've been shipwrecked before. I'm not doing it. He cares more about them than anything that can come in to his journey. So he doesn't care about his own safety. He doesn't care about his own comfort. He cares about them, but he cares about them. That's why he's making plans. Well, when are we going to make plans? Well, we'll make plans knowing this. Plans have been attempted. Oh, yeah, I was going to witness. I was going to share the gospel, and I tried, and I planned. And how'd that go? They told me, shut up and get out of here and don't ever talk to me about that again. Whew. Okay, that didn't go well. Um, I got distracted. Something else happened. Uh, they, you know, the job came to an end, and I don't see them anymore. Oh, I missed that opportunity. Plans have been attempted. Paul's saying, I tried many times. I wanted to get there. I'm not discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If you've made plans to share the gospel with someone and it's not gone well to this point, don't, don't be overly discouraged. Don't give up. Paul said, okay, I've made plans. I've tried to get there. But listen, plans have been delayed at times. He's saying, I'm just on hold. The Lord's redirected me. My plans, they've been altered. They've been delayed. But God is sovereign. Paul didn't fall apart. He didn't quit. Oh, I just don't know if I hear God's voice anymore. I've been trying to get there, and it's just not happening, so forget it all. That's not what Paul said. He's like, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm still planning to get there. I can't guarantee that I'm going to get there, but I'm planning, I'm planning to come visit you. And that's plans are still being made. He's like, I've attempted plans. My plans have been put on hold and delayed, but I'm still making plans. Now, now think about this. So you have people in your world that you have thought about. Maybe you've attempted to, to share the gospel with them and it just hasn't gone well and it's on delay and, and you got separated and now they're in, over here in that building and you're in another building. You don't see them anymore. You graduated and now life is kind of moving on, but you haven't forgotten about them. How about to make a plan? Go back to making some plans. How, how can I reach out to them? Get on mission. Stay on mission. That's what Paul is showing us here. He said, I'm planning. I'm coming. There's harvest time, and I'm going to get there. I'm going to reap the gospel. Somebody, somebody else planted it. I'm going to get there. 
Do you realize, do you hear what he's weaving in here? Jews, Gentiles, all of these different ethnicities, nations, cultures, and it's all getting flattened. He's an apostle. He's a Jew. And he's writing to a Gentile community. And he loves them. Why would a Jew love us? The gospel. So Paul is writing, do you realize Christianity is the only genuine, lasting, eternal hope for the, the problem of racism? The division, the hatred between ethnicities? It's only Jesus that unites. And Paul is coming, and this is what he's writing about. This is what he, he keeps, he's, he talks about the Greeks, he talks about the barbarians. He says, I'm under obligation I'm indebted. I'm coming. I'm going to get there. I have a message for them. He's saying this. I care about all kinds of Gentiles. You read Romans 9, 10, and 11, you'll see how he, he feels about his own countrymen, Jewish men, Jewish people, Israelites. He says in Romans 9, 10, and 11, if I could give up my own salvation for my countrymen to know Christ and spend eternity with him in heaven, I would do it, but I can't. No one can be saved on behalf of someone else. So Paul loves his countrymen, but he also has a heart for those who are Gentiles. He cares about them. He was eager. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel there to you. The good news that comes from the gospel. Now listen, I, I know. Have you all seen cars? I don't know what's in our parking lot out here, okay? So I'm not, I'm not hating on you. I'm not judging you. If you have bumper stickers on your car, but sometimes, I think it was Ray Comfort said that, you know, Sometimes people, they overcompensate with bumper stickers, what they lack internally, you know? And you'll see, like, you're going to hell, you know? And, and, and you're like, hey, I'm sitting at the stop line and trying not to die in the intersection, and whoa, there's an interesting bumper sticker. Now, before I, I and this is, I want to be clear on this. Sometimes people who may have all of those good intentions, we're not going to sit back and say they shouldn't do that. How dare they do that? Because on one hand, they're actually doing something. They're, they're starting somewhere. Whether that be the right way or not, that's, I'm not the judge over that. But easily, sometimes we can be judgmental of that's the wrong way, and that's the wrong way, and that's the wrong way, and they're not doing it right. I'm sorry, how do you evangelize? How do you share the gospel? Well, I don't. Well, that's not right. Oh, you who judge, do you keep your own standard? Okay, so all of this is in play as we're thinking about this. Now, sometimes people are known for handing out gospel tracts. Well, I had, a, I had a guy once, he knew I was a pastor, saw me at good old days. Where's your tracks, wise? I was like, actually, uh, we're around the corner at the booth. We had a booth over there, and I was like, Lord, hold my tongue. <laughs> hold my tongue. Where's your church? Oh, I'm not part of a church. Okay. Enough said. This one I found this week. It's in a box. I was shuffling some boxes, moving some things around at the office. You know those boxes that you have things in? You're like, where does, where does this go? They're important things. They're, you know, you're going to hold up. This is, this is the track that my grandfather, Grandpa Bender, he would buy these by the case. He made a commitment to the Lord. Anybody that comes on his farm in Nebraska, 
He would share the gospel with them. And people would write. It wasn't just that he was handing out trash. That man was winsome. He was upright. He had integrity. He ended up leading his father to Christ. Like a man of God. And he handed this out, this, this track, by the thousands to people. Now, sometimes there's baggage that goes with that because people will leave this to a waiter or a waitress and they'll be like, you want a tip? Here's how you can have eternal life. And they don't leave money. And waiters and waitresses, am I, am I wrong here? Those in the, in the customer service realm are like, these Christians. Shh. Got no use for them. If you're going to leave a track, don't do under 20% tip. Bless them so that it matches God's grace, his riches in Christ, and be a blessing. This is the publication. It's called The Story. It's digital. Uh, you can share it. There is a point that sometimes when we're so tongue-tied and we just can't, I don't know how to break in. I don't know how to, to get this conversation started. This is a way that simply tells the story. Where did it all begin? Where did it go wrong? And what has God done? What is your response? This is an opportunity in a way to put something in someone's hand and say, I'm praying for you. Can I share this with you? And they may say, yeah, thanks. And they may tuck it in a pocket or in a briefcase or whatever. People even use briefcases anymore. But they'll take it with them, and you never know if it's in a glove box of a car when they are at a moment and they say, wait a second. And I think that what happens, first of all, is they're going to remember you. I remember that coworker. I remember that neighbor. They handed me something, and I respected them, and I didn't really want their track, their publication, their little pamphlet. But I remember them, and I... I'm in need at this moment. What did I do with it? And if they can't find you, they may find that. And it's the story. It's the gospel. It's the good news. In some way, we have to speak it. We have to share it. Why? Because this is how sinners are converted. They're convicted of their sin. You have a problem. We all have a problem. We're sinners. And then they're converted when they hear there's a solution that God has made that God has given. Saints are discipled. You realize that Paul is not departing from the gospel? He's writing to believers saying, when I come to you in Rome, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Wait a second. We've already believed, Paul. The gospel isn't just for salvation and then, all right, close that. Don't need that anymore. We live in the message of the gospel. We sing these songs of hope because it's the gospel and we never graduate from the gospel. Listen, this year we are planning on October 31st, it's a Sunday night, to open somehow our doors and just be here on that night when kids are out doing the trick-or-treating and to be here and to be present in this community saying we're here to serve and to share the love of Christ. If you're interested in serving we just email the office, say, hey, count me in. 
And if we can be a blessing on that night to make an impact in the community, that's our aim, that's our desire. Well, all of this comes together, consumed with gratitude, constant in prayer. Paul's committed to serve. He's careful to plan. But where does this all flow out of and from? And that's verses 16 and 17, beloved. It's when we're changed by the gospel because that's what would take these strangers in Rome saying, what is going on with this guy? Why does he want to come see us? The answer to that question, he's been changed. He's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's evident. It's obvious. You can't hide it. This guy's different. We heard what he used to be. He isn't that guy anymore. What happened to him? Maybe there are people who ask that question about you. Why? Well, I worked with him a long time, and I knew him, and I know him, and something happened. What happened to you? Why are you different? What's changed about you? And Paul says of this transformation, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's a change that the gospel brings, and it's visible when letter A, we are unashamed of the message. That's what Paul is saying. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this message. This message is life-giving. This message is life-changing. This message, we don't tuck it away. We don't hide it behind all, time, all kinds of productions. It's the message. It's the main course. God has come. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for the word of the cross, all right, that's the gospel. The message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Okay, so we're not waiting for people to say, tell me the story of Jesus, Brother Wise. They're never going to come to that on their own. And Paul is saying, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That's so stupid. That's so dumb. That's so lame. You Christians are so lame. Christianity is a crutch. It's more than a crutch. It's everything. I got nothing. It's not just supporting me a little. It's all I have that has kept me out of hell. It's not a crutch. But to us, Paul says, who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Oh, they're everywhere, right? Everywhere today. Has, God, has not God made, the fool, made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's not foolish preaching. It's not foolish preachers. It's the message proclaimed by the people of God regarded as, that's foolish, that's silly, that's not for me. Hope that works out for you but it's the power of God. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, 
but we won't do any of that. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews. Can't help you with that. You gotta fall on this stone, the stone of Christ. Stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For, listen to this now, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, you can't touch it. Stronger than men. The best we have cannot compare to the message of the cross. This message is powerful. This message is universal. Paul's highlighting that to the Romans. He's highlighting that to the Corinthians. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. That means everybody. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. It's the gospel. How many times have I shared this, and I keep sharing this, the gospel, the acronym, G-O-S-P-E-L. G, God. It all begins and ends with God. It's all his. He created you. He created me. He created us to know him, to love him, to enjoy him forever. Then what went wrong? What happened? Oh, our sin separated us from this holy God. That's a problem. S, contrary to many, many religions on planet earth today, sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds, by trying harder. I'm just gonna do better, uh, self-help. No, you can't, and I can't either. So P, paying the price for our sin, Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and the third morning he rose from the dead. And he lives forever and he's coming back. And E, everyone who turns from their sin and they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they given? Life that never ends. It's the gospel. It's so that you can always be prepared when you're in a moment and you weren't thinking at this moment somebody was gonna ask me a question that something is jogged in your mind to say, where do I begin talking to them? God. You are made by God. He loves you. You are made in the image of the living God. And all of the struggles that you have and the imperfections and what you see in the mirror that doesn't measure up, God made you. And we're broken. And God has done something about our brokenness. Will you trust him? It's the gospel. John 3, 16. God loved the world. That's why he gave Jesus but you must believe in him. And there's the two uh, outcomes. Those who believe, everlasting life. Those who don't believe, perish. It's hell to pay. So the apostles preached in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. This is an exclusive message here. It's a pivotal message. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, say it with me, must be saved. Okay, that's why we cannot, church, sit and wait for people. Hey, can you tell me the gospel? That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go. Go into all the world. Make disciples. It's not come see. It's go tell. And we're invited in this mission. Go tell. You must 
you must be saved. And so when we're unashamed of this message, we know the message, we've embraced the message, the message has changed us. We're not ashamed of this message. We're united into a family, the family of God. This makes for a powerful witness. How did you all get in this family? Over here, we've got this nationality and there's that nationality and you've got this person. Don't they own, aren't they like a CEO of a company? And here's this person over here and, you know, what do they do? And uh, over here, how are you guys all in this family together? What do you share in common? Answer? Yep, Jesus. Jesus. Oh, tell me more about that. You see that, how that invites this community when we are united? This means we're, we're striving for unity. We're going to talk about that in small groups. How do we strive for unity? This witness that goes out from the church. And Paul is saying it came from God. It came through the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it's to the Jew first, and it's also to the Gentile. Galatians 3.8, Paul saying this message is for all peoples. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's said this way, what, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So when we realize how, how this gospel changes us, we're unashamed of the gospel, we're united in this family, and that letter C there is we're then unafraid to live by faith. And it's going to require faith. Trusting not in our own resources or in our wisdom, but in the Lord. It's faith in Christ alone. That's how we're saved, and that is how we survive. That is how we live. The gospel reveals God's righteousness, his perfect holiness. It reveals to us Jesus Christ himself, the word made flesh, and we've all missed the mark. And God has come in Christ to make a way for sinners. And so that's where Paul says, from faith for faith. It's all of God. It's a gift of God for God. It's all, it's nothing that we work up on our own and I chose God. How do dead people choose anything? It's from faith, from God. It's all grace for faith so that who gets all the praise and glory? God. From faith, for faith, for the just, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what Luther was reading. And he's thinking, how, why am I going through all of this penance if the just live by faith? And that's in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4. It's here in Romans, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. It's saying, how are we going to live? By faith. We end here, if you look there in your Bible, at verse 16 and 17, and it's the positive that the righteous shall live by faith. And we don't have time to carry on into the next section, but the gospel reveals God's righteousness, but the gospel, gospel also reveals God's wrath. Judgment is coming. His wrath is coming. And we have the answer. We have the one who saves sinners. So when and how will we get to the place where we share courageously this message of amazing grace when we're consumed with gratitude, when we are like Paul, constant in prayer, committed to serve, careful to plan, and changed by the gospel. 
and God will use that people. And I just think, as I, as I look at this list, we have to do this list two ways. I have to look at this personally, personally and say, is this me? Am I consumed with gratitude? Does this characterize me? Would anybody know me as this kind of a person? You have to ask that question. And then we carry that to corporately, the group collectively. Is this us as a church? Is this how people regard us in this community? Do they know us to be people like this example we see in the Apostle Paul? Perfect? No way. Striving to be like Paul as he was following Christ? Yeah, that's my heart. Is that your heart's desire? A couple of questions to ask. They'll be included in our small group. The uh, study guide is here. It'll be on the, in the back. It'll be out in the fellowship hall. You can pick that up. It's also online on our small group page. Think about this. Ask this question. How do I typically approach sharing Christ with others? How do I typically approach sharing Christ with others? And then to apply this message, what is my next step to sharing the gospel more clearly and more courageously? And may God help us to do that as his people, amen? Let's stand together. Father, thank you for bringing us together under your word. I pray for anyone who is under the sound of my voice today or as this message goes out this week through podcast and YouTube and on our webpage, that for anyone who's listening and they're convicted of their sin and they have not yet trusted in you, they have not yet believed the gospel, I pray, Lord, that today is the day of their salvation, that they will turn from their sin and they will trust in you. And make us courageous, Lord. May we say with the apostles as they prayed, and now, Lord, look upon the threats of this culture all around us, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And Lord, we're going to trust that when we speak your word, that you will do signs and wonders, all performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it's him that we love, and it's him that we serve, and it's you, Jesus, that we are waiting for and you will return, and you are our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.